0: This week on the podcast it's a theater maker conversation episode with two fantastic leaders from Columbia Entertainment Company. Its executive director Enola Rianne White and artistic and marketing director Elizabeth Alexander. CEC Entertainment Company is a thriving community theater located in Columbia, Missouri. Founded in 1979, CEC is now in its 44th season as a non theater, and the mission of Columbia Entertainment Company is to enrich the community by providing quality live theater experiences to the citizens of mid-Missouri through education and participation. And further, CEC shares community-driven, professional-level productions highlighting the diversity and culture of their community, and it provides the preeminent theatrical experience for Mid-Missouri audiences and participants. In our conversation, we talk about their first full season post-pandemic shutdown, how marketing has changed, and Enola shares a profound story of how she challenged her board to not do business as usual and embrace the diversity Columbia has to refocus the theater's intent and mission with inclusivity, diversity, equity, and access as paramount to their present and their future. I'm Julie Emmett, former for-profit marketing executive to Fortune 500 brands turned evangelist for marketing excellence and innovation in live theater. This is In the Green Room. It wasn't long ago that I was racking up frequent flyer miles, traveling the country, leading digital media and marketing for some of the world's top brands. And I was exhausted. Worse yet, I felt utterly empty. It was then I had an aha moment. I can take all of that I learned over the last 15 years, climbing the corporate ladder in for-profit marketing, making billions for those top brands, mind you, and use it for good. To help my true passion, the theater, thrive in this brave new digital world. Fast forward through a pandemic and lessons learned and you'll see a happy me today, leading regional and community theaters to grow with marketing innovations, strategies, and kickin' content. If you're a theater maker feeling overwhelmed by the lightning pace of marketing changes, lack the confidence or resources to implement new marketing tactics, or just want to find support to create a theater that makes an impact in your community, you are in the right place. Now grab some coffee and a cardboard cup and let's get on with the show. Enola and Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining here on the show. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for, thank having, you for us. having us. You know, I work with a lot of theaters, and I can't say I know very many that actually have two women in leadership positions. So I'm especially excited to talk with you today. I want to start this out with a very basic question because I want my podcast listeners to get to know you. So Enola, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself and how you're connected to the theater? Absolutely. So my name is Enola White. I am the
1: executive director of Columbia Entertainment Company. I started out as a volunteer playing in the Pitt Orchestra and then got drug into being on play selection and then got drug onto the board became treasurer, and then got appointed as executive director. He loved that journey. I love it. I love that journey for you. Yes, yes. It was a great (laughs) journey. It's been a great path. It's been a wild ride, but I really wouldn't trade it for the world. It's been a lot of fun.
0: That's great. And what about you, Elizabeth?
2: Yeah, I am Elizabeth Alexander, and I am currently the artistic director and marketing director for Columbia Entertainment Company. And like Enola, I started as a volunteer when I moved to Columbia It was six years ago now. I immediately got involved helping out backstage on stage crews, stage management, that sort of thing, then ventured into performing and started helping out with some of the social media management for the theater. And that led to me being the head of the marketing committee, which led to me being the marketing director. And so I was attending board meetings and there had been much discussion about having an artistic director. And I kind of threw my name in the ring and said, hey, I'm interested in doing this. I've served on the play selection committee. I kind of know that part of it. I've been involved in shows. And in June 2020, we were appointed.
0: Oh, my goodness. You know, there must be some sort of aura around this podcast because I'm drawn to asking guests to be on that are in executive and artistic director positions that come from marketing. And here is another one, Elizabeth. (laughs) So, you know, marketing is such a critical thing to understand. And I, you know, again, marketing directors, going to artistic directors, there's such a critical connection there. I can't wait to talk about that later. But in the meantime, I would love, Enola, would you mind just giving us a quick background about Columbia Entertainment Company?
1: Yes. So CEC is a nonprofit community theater. We're located in the heart of Columbia, Missouri. We got our start in 1979. So we've been around for quite a long time. This is our 44th season. We've got Matilda on our stage right now and it closes this weekend. So we're excited and sad to have a show on the stage and closing this weekend, but we're very proud of the cast and crew that have rallied despite all of the challenges of coming back to doing a full stage production during a pandemic. So we're happy to have our our show going. We've got No Sex Please We're British coming up on the docket and we are in full rev mode to plan for an anniversary season next year with our 45th season. So we're really, really happy and excited to to see what the future has for us.
0: That's awesome. And, you know, this is this your first season back since overcoming? We're all kind of still coming out of the pandemic, of course. But is this the first full season that you've had programming? But When the pandemic hit, were you paused completely? What, what happened in that
2: place? We... Very quickly shifted to online programming because I think shutdown here in Columbia came, I want to say, a week or two before our annual Trivia Night event. And that's our biggest okay. fundraiser of the year. And so we Im- yeah. immediately shifted that online mm-hmm. and had a lot of fun, learned a lot. Yep. We um, all there were definitely some hurdles there. And then from there, everyone rallied and we we're like, OK, we are going to be online for a bit. So what are we going to do? And we did some radio theater. <laughs> we... Did several online murder mystery events, which were a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And then in November of 2020, we actually had an onstage production. We did Grounded, which was a one-woman show. And we kept the crew as minimal as possible and had both in-seat performances as well as live streaming. So if people weren't comfortable coming out in person quite yet, they had the option to watch online. We did a similar thing with Satchmo at the Waldorf in February of 2021. Again, a one-man show small audience, live streaming, small crew. And then we actually had a full season. I'm starting with our 43rd, which opened in August of 2021 with Hedwig and the Angry Inch and we tried to keep the shows smaller, more right. contained, not so much a big bombastic musical like like we like to do. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of our easing our way back
0: into it and then this season is kind of full out. Got it. Now CEC is a volunteer-based nonprofit community theater. Am I, am I correct in the, all those words? Tell me about the space. Are you in a large auditorium or do you have a smaller black box? What's the setup there?
1: So we have our own space. We are a 155 seat stadium seating theater. It's in a warehouse looking building, but it is a theater. You walk in and it's got a fantastic lobby and there's a full theater house with the proscenium and a curtain and everything. So, uh, no, yeah, we're we're very fortunate to have our own space. And that was kind of a saving grace for us during the pandemic is to own our own building outright.
0: In the community of Columbia, how does the theater stand out? What makes it unique, Enola? I would say the thing that makes our
1: theater unique is the fact that we are an indoor theater. We have wonderful partners in Columbia. I would say there are four main, quote unquote, main community theaters in Columbia, CEC, Maplewood Barn, which is your traditional summer outdoor theater. Talking Horse Productions, which is a black box theater. And then Greenhouse Theater, they are more of an experimental theater and they do different kinds of presentations in all kinds of pop-up spaces and whatnot. So CEC is definitely the more traditional come in, sit, watch a show on a stage experience that most folks are familiar with.
0: I would love to talk about programming. You know, I I like to talk a lot about the circular motion of programming, producing and promoting and marketing always sort of finds its way into all those different areas. But when it comes to programming, Elizabeth, do you have any sort of guiding principles or or how do you look at what you program for CEC?
2: For sure. It's definitely finding that balance between artistic expression, keeping our, our actors who volunteer with us in roles they enjoy, doing shows they enjoy, but also from the business perspective, doing shows that we know people are going to come see and will pay to come see. So that's a fun mm. rope to walk always. But how I look at it, the last couple of years I've led the Play Selection Committee is keeping a diverse enough committee that we're hearing from all different sorts of people, people who do plays, people who do exclusively musicals, people who are involved in tech or front of house or choreography, and hearing what types of shows they want to work on or think would be a good fit we do audience surveys with every production, asking our audience, what sorts of shows do you want to see? And we take that all into consideration. And so we end up with a really fun mix. We usually do, in an average season, five or six shows
0: a season. We tried eight once. It was too many. Mm-hmm. I hear that from a lot of theaters that are under 400 seats. Yeah, that sometimes eight's too much.
2: Yeah. So we we try to stick to five or six. and. We like to do a tentpole musical on either end of our season. So for example, this season we're opening with Matilda the musical, we're closing with Sister Act, things that we know people are going to come out and want to be in, but also come out and want to see. And then in the middle, we typically in the winter do, I, I affectionately call it our weird slot. That's when you'll see our Heathers or we've done Next to Normal in that slot. This year we're doing the Adams Family musical. And so something slightly off the beaten path that might get a different crowd to come in and then we'll fit in a couple of plays around that.
0: I looked at your season and it hits the nail on the head of, to me, what a really interesting and and provocative, if you will, season. You know, you're doing Matilda, you're doing a classic farce called No Sex, Please, (laughs) We're British, which, long story short, my parents have done that show many times when they owned a summer stock in the 1970s. So. 1970s and British farce were very popular. You're doing Steel Magnolias, you're doing The Adams Family, you just talked about. You're doing Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and then closing the Sister Act. What a varied, interesting, new, classic mix. And and Elizabeth, was it hard given the makeup of the play selection and programming committee to come to those conclusions? I would say surprisingly, no.
2: I was a little concerned coming in because I I came into the head of play selection with a very clear, we need to diversify the types of shows we're doing. We need to reach different kinds of audiences. And I was expecting maybe a little pushback, and I had none. People got on board, brought us great ideas. I mean, we could have made seven equally wonderful seasons based on the suggestions everyone brought to the table. So it's been really great, something that the committee decided, I believe it was last year, is we've made a commitment. We want to bring all of August Wilson's Pittsburgh plays to our stage. Mm-hmm. And so we started last year with Fences mm-hmm. and we're bringing Ma Rainey's Black
0: Bottom this year. And we hope to continue that into the next several seasons. That's amazing. It sounds to me like the size of your play selection committee is is on the larger side. How many people are involved in those decisions?
2: I would say ideally I like nine to 11. I think we're sitting around nine right now on the committee.
0: That's perfect. That's perfect. Sometimes with that many, with more cooks in the kitchen than 10, it can be challenging. For sure. You know, when it comes to casting, I know as the artistic director, Elizabeth, you're probably not as intimately involved as the director would be and the musical director for musicals would be. But, you know, in terms of casting and, and the talent in Columbia, have you had challenges bringing people back after the pandemic pause? A few. Yeah. Mainly,
2: our biggest one, particularly for our plays, is we are normally a theater that does not struggle to find women or people who are comfortable playing women on stage to come out for our shows. That's not typically an issue for us. But the last couple of seasons, particularly for our plays, we we have surprisingly struggled there, which is is a new challenge for us. We know know how to go find men to come be in the shows because that's our (laughs) usual issue. But now we're in the reverse.
0: Wow, that is a unique position. Do you have, have any theories about why in Colombia that might be happening? I think through the last couple of years, people are being
2: more cautious with how they use their time. As Enola mentioned, we have multiple theaters here in town that have open auditions. And so when you have three or four options of auditions, you really get to be picky. And I think we were seeing a shift from before people would maybe go out for one or for more than one show at a time, and then just kind of see how it went and pick and choose the roles they wanted to take. And I think people are being a little more picky, if if you will, about which shows they want to go out for or how they want to spend their time.
0: Makes sense. People are being more selective about how they're using their free time, but they're also being more selective about what they do in their free time. <laughs> Enola, yes. I'm curious, how has box office been in over the past year or so that you've been returning to on stage live performance? So it's been interesting because like
1: Elizabeth mentioned, we did two shows during the pandemic where we had limited seating. I think we were at 25 for Grounded and up to a whopping 35 for (laughs) Satchmo. And those were socially distanced. And we had fairly good turnout and live streaming numbers were were fantastic. Then with our 43rd season, we did reduced capacity. We had limited ourselves to 75, which is about half of our house. And it was interesting slowly watching people get more comfortable of coming back to the theater and getting back into the routine of going somewhere. So you saw Hedwig where we had probably about houses of about 30 on average. And then we got to producers where we were finally selling out at 75. Uh, now, Matilda has been interesting because this is our first show back at full capacity. Mm-hmm. And so our walk-in numbers are crazy.
0: Oh, oh <laughs> gosh.
1: Uh, You're so on we- trend. You are on trend. Yeah. So people are not purchasing tickets in advance anymore. <laughs> they're walking into the theater and purchasing tickets at the theater. So Matilda has had houses of 80 or 90. And I think we're going to track for this last weekend, tracking towards a couple of sellouts as well. But it's it's interesting watching people who would normally per- pre-purchase their tickets. They're just showing up at the theater and and buying them right then and there. So it's it's been a, a shift of planning and I'm going to do this on Thursday, this on Friday too. Let's, let's see what's happening around town and let's just go in and see what we can get involved in.
0: I know. And, you know, you are, like I said, this is so on trend, but I'm telling you the anxiety level that has risen because of how consumers are changing the way they purchase and that they're planning is is stressful, right? I mean, yes, it's, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, you look at the numbers on Monday and you're like, oh no, <laughs> but they seem to just finally be making those decisions in that Wednesday to Friday time mm-hmm. frame. Let's let's turn into marketing. How have you changed your marketing strategy coming back, Elizabeth? One of my biggest
2: changes that I've kind of softly implemented without making any sort of announcement about it is I have stopped trying to promote things so far in advance. Even pre-pandemic our audiences are are not people who buy their tickets well ahead of time. We we might get a week ahead of time if we're lucky. And so I've kind of done some some soft A-B testing on, the, and just for my own interests and have found that we can start promoting a show on a Tuesday for a Thursday open and we're going to sell just as many tickets as we would if I started promoting it the Thursday before.
0: Oh my goodness. I'm going to take this little clip and I'm going to put it everywhere because it's so true. And honestly, there is resistance in some theaters and some theater makers that are you know still holding on to 10 years ago when that wasn't the case and and your AB testing Elizabeth is exactly what other theaters it doesn't matter if they're in Canada or they're on the east coast west coast middle of the country everyone is finding that when we're crunching our media strategy into that shorter week two week time frame and really going all in it is benefiting the revenue. And you're absolutely right. You're seeing just the same amount of tickets being sold because people aren't planning ahead. And I don't know. I'd love your opinion too, Elizabeth, is I kind of feel like this may not go away very soon.
2: Yeah, I think it's a trend that's here to stay. I see it in my full-time job as well, working for a marketing and web design firm. We're getting very similar results. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily have to promote so far out ahead of time, like do a little teaser. I send out a, I call it my mostly monthly email. It's mm-hmm. even more if I have time every month to put it together. <laughs> that has a rundown of like what people can expect to come up. So any upcoming auditions, events, shows, that sort of thing. But we, I really don't start the hard push on social where which is where we do most of our marketing until about a week out. What is your marketing mix? Yeah. So we do, like I said, the mostly monthly email, we do a lot on Facebook and Instagram in particular, just because that's where our audience happens to be. We are also blessed in Colombia. We have some wonderful partners with our radio stations. We've got a great show called Speaking of the Arts that brings in a lot of local, some national arts talent, whether it's playwrights, poets, performers, any of that. And so we can market through that as well. And then we have a partnership with a local publication. We do digital
0: ads on their website. Nice. Great. Yeah, great mix. And leaving in on digital is really the right thing to be doing right now, especially. And all I'm curious about when you're thinking about the future and maybe hearkening back to CEC strategic plan, you know, what do you see happening in the future for CEC?
1: So I actually sat our board down in October 2021 and asked them that very question to the point. What are we trying to achieve here? Are we just trying to do some shows for fun because we can get a group of friends in somebody's garage and do that? Or are we actually trying to enhance our community? And the board unanimously agreed that we're trying to enhance the community. We're trying to provide a service that you don't necessarily see routinely. So we are focused on giving back to the community by providing an artistic expression option for, for folks. So, you know, we have plenty of folks who have Broadway dreams, but maybe not Broadway bucks. That who mm-hmm. are in our community and they are especially exceptionally talented. We have wonderful uh, singers, wonderful actors, wonderful stage managers, wonderful lighting designers, set builders, people who run front of house that just want an opportunity to have what one of our board members calls a third space. That space that isn't work, that space that isn't home, a space where you can go and be a community and, As a result of that strategic plan, it was we're going to be a community theater for the community, and we're going to give back by providing educational opportunities. We're going to launch a workshop series here shortly for adult education to get more adults involved in in the theater. Columbia is a wonderful arts community. We have a really robust children's arts program in town with various theaters and various dance groups and troops in town, but there's not really a whole lot for the adults in town to get involved in. we're really focused on getting our adults back into the theater, getting them back into volunteering, into doing something that they love and, and giving back that way. Maybe they did a show in high school and they absolutely loved it and then they went away and, you know, they haven't been back since for 20 years and we can offer them a lighting design course and get them back into the theater and involved that way. So our, our focus is really that group. Maybe they were involved and they just, they just missed
0: it. I know three theaters right now that I want to get onto a conference call with you. Because <laughs> one of my passion points this year is helping theaters reconsider the model of how community theaters have run. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges that I've seen is the length of commitment and the length of time required. Of a person to be in a production and as one challenge, right, of of the younger generations, do they really want, they can't spend eight weeks of their life Mm -hmm. to put up a two weekend show. Like, how are we going to change the model there? And then the second one is right. What you just said, Enola, is how do we figure out what makes sense for people that have just started to enter those 18 to 30 year olds? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those people leave, and they don't feel like theater is something that they can do in their hometown. And because maybe the training isn't there, and you're you're hitting right on the nail on the head, is that you know if they've been away from it for two or three years, they aren't necessarily going to jump into an audition. That there's maybe not a training program there to help them get their skills back to a place where they would be comfortable back on stage. That's really exciting that that's the the direction you're headed. Mm -hmm. Really cool. I'm just curious, too, about, you know, let's talk a little bit about, like, some things that haven't worked so well that you've learned from. Maybe, Elizabeth, what about you in, your, in, in the artistic world? Oh, gosh. I'd say we've learned a lot of lessons
2: along the way. We, The first one that came to mind kind of thinking about our shows and, and getting back into bigger shows is figuring out our dressing room situation.
0: Oh, that's a common it's, one, yes. Yeah. As weird as it sounds,
2: because our theater, as it's built right now, has two dressing rooms, which works well for plays, smaller musicals, and probably up until March 2020, we were running legally blonde through the beginning of that month. It was just shove as many people in the dressing room as possible and make it work. And now we're having to kind of take a step and go, Well, we can't have twelve people in one dressing room. That's too crowded. Mm-hmm. It's too much air being shared and that sort of thing. And so figuring out how to work with that and how do we address that issue in a way where everyone involved feels comfortable, but also has the space that they can use. So it's been everything from that to figuring out who do we, who do we call on when we need volunteers, when we need actors, and we're trying to fill a role and maybe we didn't get as many people to come out for an audition as we would have hoped. Who are we contacting?
0: Yeah. What's your bench look like? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's definitely something that, that, that theaters are having to relearn, I think, or re reconfigure and reconsider. That's definitely true. But the training program that you're talking about certainly um, can help fill that void as well.
2: Yes, I am excited for that, particularly where we're located. Columbia is a college town. So mm-hmm. not only do we have kind of the ebb and flow of our adult volunteers who are in different stages of life, we also have the ebb and flow where we might find someone amazing but they're in their last semester of college and they're moving to Chicago, right? And so we'll get no. them for that one really great
0: show, and then they're gone. That happens a lot too in a lot of communities. And also, something that also keeps you busy is your role as a DEI advocate. How have you used those skills in the theater space? Well, so just so that
1: everybody knows, because obviously we're on a podcast, so you can't see me. I'm an African American woman, and when I first volunteered at CEC, I was be only African-American in the theater space. So one of my big pushes has been to get more people of diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences, diverse skin tones, to get them involved in the theater. And because theater is about everybody, there are all kinds of different stories out there that can challenge you that might not be your traditional, you know, ingenue experience that most folks see when they go to Broadway. But we have, like I said earlier, we have such a brilliant community here that has all kinds of diverse talent. So how do we tap into that? What kinds of shows can we do to attract those kinds of people to our stage? And I distinctly remember when we were sitting down for our eight show season and the debate came down to, are we going to do Sound of Music or Hairspray? And I looked at one of the individuals on the play selection committee and I said, you have an opportunity to do three musicals this season. I have an opportunity to do two. And they looked back at me and said, well, why can't you do Sound of Music? I said, well, OK, really, other than Mother Superior, are you really going to buy, you know, one of the the children being a little black girl? And so, so it's kind of challenging folks to think outside of the box and think, what can we do that is something that's a classic that is going to attract different kinds of people to our stage. We don't have to do Sound of Music. We did Hairspray instead. And that's just a great family-friendly musical. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of fun. And it brought in a whole different group of people that are now actively involved in our theater. And then we did Dreamgirls. And now we're doing Fences. And we're doing Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Sister Act. And so we're just increasing those kinds of opportunities for diverse roles. And We also have various opportunities for different abled bodies to be on our stage as well. We've had deaf actors. We've had actors in wheelchairs. We've had actors on crutches. Like We want to have as many different types of people on our stage as possible because that's what our community looks like. So how can we do things
0: that resemble where we live? I can't even add anything to that because it's perfectly sad and to talk with you and to hear that that's what you aren't just wanting to do and that you I've done it and that that is how your theater's mission exists and how you live your lives in this space is is really inspiring and I hope it inspires a lot of the theaters that I know that are struggling with this topic that are struggling with getting those plays through on their play selection committees that are are admired in uh boards that aren't ready to adapt and adopt. And so again, inspirational and and doing versus talking is really where we are on this issue right now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I I would just echo what
2: Enola was saying is we noticed almost immediately when we kind of made these adjustments to our programming, the change in who was coming out to see our shows, because we know the people who have supported the theater for years are going to keep doing so. And so the the task at hand is how do we bring in new people? How do we bring in people who've always wanted to come but haven't because they didn't see anyone who looked like them or had their life experience up on our stage? And so it's been so cool to see new people come in. And then they keep coming back because we keep doing shows they're interested in. And Enola brought up Hairspray and I... I was in that cast, and I still remember one of our very first rehearsals, rather than doing a read-through or choreography or anything, Enola, who was our director, sat us all down in a big circle, and we talked about our life experiences based on where we were coming from, if we'd ever experienced any type of prejudice, if we'd perhaps been someone who had been a bully in a situation, and really kind of talked through that, and it not only kind of got us into the right headspace for that show, but I think gave everyone on that stage a deeper understanding of who we were working with and why we were doing what we were doing.
0: Again, another example of breaking the traditional mold of what experience is in community theater, right? You know, that is the tradition as you walk in with your script and you have your first read-through. How brilliant to change that and make it into something different it's not about reading that script for the first two hours of the first rehearsal and mm-hmm. really finding that shared experience. I'm sure bonded the cast so much, right, Anila?
1: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely did. It was something, an exercise that I intended to be maybe 30 minutes, but it took the entire time. And as a result, that cast, I mean, like Liz said, it, that cast to, still to this day, they're
0: still super tight. Oh, that's that's one of the Greatest things you can wish for in community theater, right? Yeah. They say <laughs> that they stay bonded and they return. Speaking of returning, Elizabeth, I'm curious, do you have any, any promotional or marketing outreach strategies to bring first-time attendees back? I can put out on Facebook
2: and our website and the internet at large what we're doing until I'm blue, at the fa- blue in the face. But unless someone else is taking that, and then telling their people about it, it's only going to go so far. Word of mouth is by far our best marketing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It is for everyone and even more important now because people are, are are looking to others before making decisions about what they do with their time and they do with their expendable income. It's so right. true. Right. It, even more so than it was back in 2019, I think. You know, word of mouth is an interesting thing because it's it's a hard thing to fuel because it's either there or it's not. Which brings me back to that full circle I was talking about at the beginning is like the middle of this whole circle is producing, right? If we can't figure out how to make the very best possible production, if we can't find the right people or we don't stop and look at what we're producing, we're putting out on the stage, it's hard to make word of mouth happen, right? And that's where it gets so tricky. And and knowing that you have such a diverse and strong artistic strategy to your theater, I think really helps pay off in word of mouth, I can only assume.
2: Yeah, I, I would say that's been a major benefit. And something when I check in on rehearsals or with directors as a production is running, one of the things I always ask is, are you proud of what you're doing? Are you proud of the work you're doing on stage? Are you, Is our soundboard operator proud of the work they're doing with the production? And if the answer to that question is no, then we need to have a conversation about what's not working, what's going wrong. Is it something administrative? Is it a personality issue? Maybe an actor feels uncomfortable with the other actors they're working with. Because my take on it is if someone is proud of what they are doing, we don't have to tell them to tell their friends and family about it if they're proud of it. Right. They'll, they'll do that naturally. Very we are excited them. Sister Act will be able to live stream at the end oh. of our season as Whoa. well as perform
0: live. I may have to regroup with you all and find out how that's going. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, I have to say, I now I really want to go to Columbia, Missouri, and I want to check out Columbia Entertainment <laughs> Company. And I just like, feel like you two must just bring intelligence and joy to a group of people coming together to make live theater and there's nothing nothing in the world that is better than that so thank you both so much for being here it's been a delightful conversation thank Thank you you so much well i encourage you to head over to cectheater.org and learn more about this fantastic organization well that's it for our last episode of 2022 i hope you enjoyed it and hey Thank you for listening. I mean, to see such growth in listenership this past year, 389% growth in listeners. Wow, 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 wow. (laughs) So if you're so inclined, drop a rating and a review on iTunes and or Spotify. It actually helps get this podcast discovered by other theater makers looking to sell more tickets and grow audiences with marketing strategy and content that works. Until next time, let's keep theater moving forward, friends.